One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. What a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. And I love that song as we are lifting up the name of Jesus. I believe that God is moving in our hearts uh, wherever we're at today. You know, the scripture says this, where two or more are gathered in his name, he is in the midst. And so today I believe that even as we are gathering, uh, whether you're in a house church gathering, whether you're gathered with your family today, uh, more important than the place, it's the person, the presence of Jesus that we are encountering today. And so I hope that your heart is open. And I want to pray, uh, even as we move into the word today, I want to pray that our hearts would be open to hear from God today. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of worship. God, thank you that as we are worshiping you, Lord, that your presence is manifest among us. And God, it's your presence that we want more than anything. Lord, we don't want religious routine. We don't want just tradition, God. Father, we don't want to follow the trends of life. Lord, we want to follow your presence. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come, Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray that you would invade every room, every atmosphere, God. I pray whether people are listening in their car or gathered around their TV, whether they're in a house church or wherever they're at, Father, thank you, Lord, that when you are in the midst, as we are lifting up your name, Father, thank you. Faith is released. Joy is released. We thank you for that today. Now we ask that you would speak to us through your word, Father. Let it be more than my words, God. Let it be your words to your people today, we pray. Help us to have ears to hear, a heart to be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, or evening, afternoon, whatever time you're watching this. Uh, it is so, so good to be with you, and hopefully you are with some other people. You know, church, even in this season, is not a solo sport. You can never have church just on your own. And so even if you are at home just watching online, I want to encourage you to interact uh, with some other people. Maybe you need to text somebody. Maybe you can chat with some other people uh, as well. And I want to give a shout out to everybody in house church this morning. Uh, even though I'm looking at the camera, I'm looking through the camera. I'm looking at you guys. I'm thinking of all of you today and uh, families at home. I'm thinking of, uh, I'm just seeing your faces in front of me today as I am speaking this message. I'm thinking about the wonderful group that's gathered at the Sims house today. Shout out to the Sims house church. I'm thinking about the Hammer House uh, hammer time this morning. I'm thinking about Jarrett Justine's group gathered together. I'm thinking about the Sprungs group, the babies in the room. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, the Joy group, perhaps the best group in the church, arguably one of the best groups in the church, no doubt. I'm thinking about you guys this morning. I'm thinking about our friends up in Philly that have been joining us online. I'm thinking about my man, Mike outside of New York that has been joining us. And so I know I'm looking at the screen. Maybe you're looking at the screen, but this is personal. I want you to know this is personal. And uh, many, many more. I can't name everybody's names, but you are in my heart uh, and in, in my head this morning. I'm thinking about you uh, as I speak this word. And of course, welcome to anybody that's a guest. Maybe you've popped in online joining us. Maybe you've seen it stream online. Maybe a friend shared a link. We are so glad. Uh, that you have joined us. And we believe, uh, regardless of where we're gathered as a church, that church 
is about more than just an event to attend. It's a community to belong. And so uh, we are so glad that you would join us today. We want to encourage you. Hey, show up. We've got some great things happening. In fact, this Saturday, we are going to be gathering for coffee in the park just to get together family style coffee, some goodies, enjoying time together in the park at Blue Jacket Park on Saturday at 10 a.m. And then uh, also coming up is our marriage course, which we are so excited about. And uh, if you are married and you've not signed up for the marriage course, uh, just spouse elbow one another, husbands and wives elbow each other, sign up today because there's there may not even be any spots left. I don't know, but sign up if you go to OC Park District dot com slash events you can sign up and we got a camping trip coming up which is going to be amazing there's nothing that brings us together quite like getting around the campfire and this is technically our second annual one church park district church family camping trip and so i want to encourage you uh, be a part of that you can reach out to pastor nate if you want to email him nate.sims at onechurch.net um, to get more information. That would be awesome. Well, this morning, I want to speak to you. If you have your Bible, you can grab it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. And today is kind of a special day uh, because we are beginning our vision series. Uh, now, oftentimes in church, Vision Sunday is the Sunday where, you know, the pastor gets up and he tells all the goals that the church is going to accomplish and then balloons fall from the ceiling and everybody celebrates. And so look up right now, there may or may not be balloons getting ready to fall from your ceiling right now. I don't know, but uh, we are excited about what God is doing. And uh, so I want to kind of begin that series today. And I'll just tell you right up front, actually today maybe is a bit of an introduction to the series. Today may not be the, the, the motivational wave a hanky, you know, stand up and dance around the room because you're just so excited. This actually may be a day that's more informational than it is motivational, but I really believe that uh, God wants us to think and not just get excited. So we're going to get excited, but I really believe God's put something on my heart to speak to you today. And so I want to be faithful to what God has put on my heart to bring to you and hopefully you will receive it this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 13, and it says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, uh, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I want to use this passage of scripture really to frame our vision for the coming months and year ahead. You know, as a church, our vision is, uh, we, we like to say it this way, it's to live the Jesus life together. That's our vision. Uh, we, we really believe that 
you know, God has more for us than just going to heaven when we die. Of course, that is, uh, that is the hope that we have. That's the assurance that we have. But God actually offers to us eternal life here and now. Eternal life's not just a quantity of life after we die. It's a quality of life. Or as Jesus said, life to the full. And so we believe that the very best life is the life that Jesus lived, the life that Jesus offers to every one of us as we follow him. And so that's our vision. But uh, every year, I really believe God puts a focus on my heart. You know, we have an expansive vision, uh, ultimately to impact the world as we follow Jesus. But every year, I feel that God just puts a focus on my heart. And so this year, uh, this passage kind of gives the focus, the framework for the focus. And uh, I love that thought, let your light shine. If there's ever been a time that the world needs light, it's now. You know, people don't really need light until it gets dark. And the world right now, you don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be overly spiritual, uh, spiritually aware to recognize the world is dark. But I believe it's an opportunity for the light to shine. And I love the way that the message translation puts this passage of scripture, specifically in Matthew chapter 5, verse, 15, uh, verse 16, says this, keep open house, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous father in heaven. I don't know about you. Okay, maybe I said it's informational. That's motivational. I don't know about you. That, that just stirs my heart. Keep open house. Live generous lives. Because as you do, you're going to cause people to open up to this generous Father in heaven. And that's the phrase that I really feel like God wants us to focus around this year. Keep open house. Keep open house. The image that comes to my heart is... You know, on a dark night, perhaps driving through some remote road and you see a house and even in the darkness, there is the warm glow, the beautiful glow of the warmth of home and it is radiating into the dark and it is drawing you in. And I believe that's the picture that God has for us, that God wants us to be that kind of open house that is uh, both filled with the light, the love of God, but is also radiating it into the world. I don't know if you've ever been by maybe a cafe window, maybe a restaurant window, and you just walk by and the lighting is right and the atmosphere is right, and you just go, man, I want to be in there. I believe that's what God wants us to be, the kind of community that becomes a window for the world to see what it looks like to live life with God, life to the full. And so I wanted to talk today about how do we do that? How do we live that kind of life that draws people in and becomes magnetic to the world around us? And, you know, ultimately the greatest place to look is the person of Jesus. He is the example of living a life that is attractive and magnetic. I mean, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, you have to admit 
there is no more influential or attractive person in history than the person of Jesus. I mean, people can say what they want about his followers, but the truth is it's hard to say anything against Jesus. He's a life that every person is attracted to. And so I believe ultimately as we are shining the light, it's the light of Jesus. But people were drawn to Jesus. If you think about it, everywhere he went, there was, there was multitudes following him. And so I want to get maybe a little technical today. I told you this is informational, not so much motivational. And so maybe you need to grab a, a notepad. Maybe you grab, need to grab a pen. Maybe you need to get your phone and, and take some notes today. Because I want to give you kind of a framework for following Jesus. How did Jesus lead his followers to become a, an attractive community that ultimately changed the course of history. And really, Jesus uh, lived in a way that drew the multitudes in. He drew the multitudes in, but then he brought them from the multitude into kind of his family, his disciples. In fact, the Bible tells us about uh, a group of disciples that that followed Jesus around. He was, if you lived at Jesus' time, uh, he would have been what you would call a rabbi. It was a traveling teacher who would, who, who would bring a message. And so there was multitudes that were drawn to Jesus. Uh, but then they, they were drawn into becoming his disciples, his students, his followers. And then within his disciples, there was another group that he called the Twelve. And even within that, there was a smaller group. In fact, uh, if you look with me, and maybe you just take notes, or, or maybe you, you, you read along today, however you learn. But the book of Luke gives some great examples of Jesus with these concentric circles. In fact, I, I want to just put up a graphic on the screen that kind of gives these four levels of connection that Jesus had. How did Jesus change the world? Really, through a four-level framework for his followers. There was the multitudes, that's the many, but then there was the the, the disciples. And Scripture lists at one place 70 disciples, then there was the 12, and then there was the three. So I just want to read these passages. I know this may get a little technical, it may get a little, uh, it may feel a little like a college class or something like that, but I believe it's important for us to understand. So Luke chapter 9, verse 1 says this, that then he called his 12 disciples together and gave him power and authority. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. Now, if you know the gospel, you know, in Luke chapter six, Jesus prayed all night and he called these 12 to follow him. Now we see Jesus now taking that 12, that they have been following him. They have been with him. They've been spending time with him, eating with him, hearing his teaching, watching the way he interacts with people. Now he's sending them out. And you see then in verse 10 of the same chapter, it says, And the apostles, when they returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethesda. Bethsaida, I'm sorry, Bethesda's in Maryland, Bethsaida's in the Bible. Verse 11, but when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now I want you to see, and again, I know I'm technical today, but I want you to see this framework 
that Jesus had 12, he sent them out. They spoke to multitudes. Multitudes came towards Jesus. There was the 12, there was the multitudes. The scripture also says in chapter 10, it gives another tier, so to speak, or, or another space where Jesus was teaching his followers. In verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every place where he himself was about to go. So I want you to see this, and, and I know I may be jumping around a little bit, but I want you to see multitudes were drawn to Jesus. Then there were 70 that were his disciples that then were sent out to preach. Then there was the 12 uh, apostles that followed him, that lived with him, that heard his teaching in a different way. But then the Bible also says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It gives us another and perhaps the closest uh, space of followers that Jesus had. It says this, Now it came to pass about eight days after these things, that he took Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain and prayed. And as he prayed, his, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. So I want you to see there was the multitudes, there was the 70, there was the 12, and then there was the three, Peter, James, and John. And even within the 12, it was these three that went with Jesus up onto the mountain and saw his glory revealed. They saw Jesus in a different way than any of the other 12. Uh, they saw his glory. And in fact, it was such a powerful encounter that Peter said, let's just stay up here. Let's build tabernacles. Well, let's not go back to the 12. But the scripture says immediately they went down and the multitudes came to them. And so here's what I want you to see. Here's how Jesus changed the world. He changed the world by drawing people in from the multitude to the 70 of disciples to the 12 of his apostles to his three, drew them in so that he could send them out. Jesus drew them in so he could send them out. Okay, now I want to talk to you about anthropology for a minute. I know this is a little weird, but I'm trying to unpack some things that I think will give us a framework for where we're going in the months ahead. Um, in the 1950s, a cultural anthropologist named Edward T. Hall developed a study that has become called proxemics. Proxemics is the study of how people relate to one another based on the physical space that they're in. Uh, it's proxemics that recognizes that we have a personal space. You know, you say, hey, get out of my face. What are you talking about? You're in my space. And Edward T. Hall was uh, an anthropologist and a sociologist who developed this study, and he recognized what he called four spaces of connection. Four spaces of connection. Now, I'm going somewhere with all of this. I know it may feel technical and just write it down, take it in, meditate on it. <clears throat> but he said, Edward Hall said that there's four spaces of connection. The, the largest space is what he called the public space. Then there was, uh, the public space was uh, 70 or more, really over 70, a public space. And 
in the public space, you know, we experience large groups. The, the public space is all about excitement. Uh, you know, it's energy. That's what you feel when you go to a sports game and there's the roar of the crowd. There's energy. There's excitement in the public space. Uh, this, the public space as well is more about observation than engagement. Just because of the dynamics of a crowd that size, uh, by nature it requires pretty much one person to talk or maybe a few people to uh, act and the others to observe. It's the public space. You know, uh, if you've ever been to a conference, typically it's the public, that, it's that realm of public space where people interact differently than the other spaces. But within that, then, or a smaller space, is what he identified as the social space. The social space. And we've got a graphic I'm going to put up. The social space. The public space, the social space. Within the social space, it is a smaller group of people that physically relate differently to one another. Um, in the social space, it's not about the excitement of, uh, of the event that you're watching. It's actually about the sense of us. It's the sense of belonging in the social space. Uh, Hall defined the social space as somewhere between uh, maybe 30 to 50 people. And of course, it can grow from there up to 70 people. But really, it's in that place that there is the sense of usness. Uh, the social space would be, um, you know, perhaps a social club that you belong to. Perhaps it's a fraternity or a sorority or, you know, some group that would be, um, you know, small enough that you kind of know everybody, but large enough that there is some sort of, you know, social capital within the group. That would be social clubs, extended family. You know, if you go to a family reunion and all the aunts and uncles and cousins and extended family are there, it's probably... 30 to 50 people, that's the social space. The social space is the place where groups get matching t-shirts, okay? Uh, people don't get matching t-shirts just with their bestie. That would be weird. They get matching t-shirts with a group, and that's the social space. It's all about belonging. It, it, it is, as one commentator says, it's uh, small enough to care, but big enough to dare, the social space. Then Hall identified the third concentric circle of connection and social space that he called the personal space. The personal space. If the public space is about excitement, about energy, and the social space is about the sense of belonging, the personal space is about contribution. In the personal space, the, the number that Hall identified in that space would be somewhere between eight, um, to about 15 people somewhere in that space. If you think about a great dinner party, if you think about, um, you know, a, a birthday party, if you think about, you know, maybe a family dinner, depending on how many are in your family or maybe having another family over, uh, that's the personal space. And the personal space is about each other. It's about contribution. In the personal space, it's small enough for every person to contribute. Uh, it, it's small enough that there's not a back row. Everybody's sitting together. There's a, a sense of contribution in the personal space uh, and care for one another. In the personal space, if somebody's missing, everybody recognizes that they're missing. That's the personal space. And, but then within that, 
Hall identified what he called the intimate space. The intimate space is a space that, as Hall said, oftentimes we allow very few people into. The personal space is where we reveal things about ourselves that we would not reveal to anyone else. The personal space is where we allow people even physically into our space. I'm sorry, that's the intimate space. The intimate space. There's fewer people allowed, but greater self-expression. And Hall identified that different environments foster different levels of connection, but ultimately, relational connectedness always flowed, or the strength of it flowed out of the intimate space, to the personal space, to the social space, to the public space. Why am I talking about this? Why does this matter? Because Edward Hall was recognizing the pattern that Jesus had set. Jesus wasn't just making disciples on accident. He wasn't just randomly choosing that number. He was the one who created man to be relational. And I believe that this is important for us to recognize as we're talking about church and gatherings. Because I believe God wants church to be something more than just the public space, just a crowd. Now, it, I'm not saying that it's not that. It is. But I believe God wants us to understand that the pattern to change the world, the pattern to influence and to attract people in to the world is by recognizing this framework for following that God is always drawing us into greater intimacy so that he can send us out for influence. That is God's pattern to change the world. He draws us in to personal intimacy to send us out for public influence. I want to speak to you about kind of our church and where we're going. Um, You know, as we've been in this bizarre season that I never would have dreamed we'd have. Uh, There have been some moments of excitement. There have been some challenges, no doubt. But, you know, a few weeks ago, in fact, it was the last Sunday of 2020, I was headed to a house church gathering. We were going to be baptizing some people. And on one side, there was this wonderful sense of excitement going to this house church. And it was like, you know, it just felt like, man, this is what New Testament church would be. We're meeting and eating and caring for one another and praying for one another. We're baptizing somebody that's gotten saved in this environment. It's incredible. At the same time, I'm going, oh my goodness, I miss everybody. I want to be together. And I was saying to the Lord, God, we're going into a new year. God, I need to hear from you. What do you want us to do? What is it, God? What's your pattern, God? Is it, are we, is it church online? I know you're using that, but uh, what is it? Is it church online? Is it house church? Is it public gatherings? It, what are you calling us to? And I believe, I felt the Lord say, it's all of it. It's all of it. And immediately, I had these four spaces drop into my mind. And uh, I'm never that, um, you know, overly confident to say God told me, but I felt like this idea came so quickly and strongly. I believe it was the Lord speaking to me. He said, it's all of it. It's all of it. Because I speak to people in all of those places. God created people to relate 
in those four environments. And immediately I had four pictures come to my mind of the house, a home. And the, the first was of the porch. And the porch is the public space. The porch is the place where we see our neighbors, where we relate to the world around us. It's the place that, you know, it may be a safe distance, but it gives us the opportunity to connect with people around us on the porch. The porch is that public space. And then the second, and this just came one right after another, the second was the family room. And the family room is the place that we welcome people into. If you can think about playing, you know, uh, maybe a family game night, there's this sense of togetherness in the family room. You're gathered together. And and I felt like God is saying that's the, the gathering of the church. That's the sense of usness. I belong in the family. I have a part in the family. Uh, that's why even last Sunday, as we gathered together in person, people said to me, it's so good to be together. Now, they may not even know everybody in the room, but what are they saying? It's this usness. And I want you to know God wants that. God wants that. He wants us to be together. He wants us to have a sense of us, unity, togetherness as family. And the picture is the family room, a family gathering together, enjoying being together. Then the next picture, or the next space that the Lord brought to my mind was the table. And the table is a place where people are not just receiving, but they're also contributing. It's the place where we grow, not just physically, but we also grow in relationships. Psychologists talk about the importance of family meals for bonding together. And, you know, for us as a church, that's what we've been doing in house church. We've always valued the table, gathering together in homes, having meals. The church is not just a crowd, but it's a community, a place to belong, a place to care for one another, a place where every person can contribute. That's what happens around the table. And then the fourth was the bedroom. And I know that may feel awkward for us to think about church and bedroom, but the bedroom is that intimate space. It's the space where we become vulnerable with God and vulnerable with one another. And ultimately, the impact of our church is not dependent on the public space. It's dependent on the intimate place. It's dependent on our own intimacy with God. Notice that it was on the mountain. It was in the intimate place that Jesus revealed his glory, that they saw the light of Jesus. They saw the glory of God. What made the early followers of Jesus so effective in the world? What was it? It wasn't that they had run the the metrics of the you know, or demographic studies in their community, and they were just, you know, finding some niche market. I'm not minimizing that, but what was it? It was that they had been to the mountain. Men and women that have been on the mountain with Jesus changed the world. And I believe God's calling us in one church park district so he can send us out. We need public gatherings. We need to let our light shine. We need to do church online. We need to do Alpha online. 
Why? Because it's the porch that people can be drawn into. They don't start in the bedroom. They start on the porch. God draws us in. We need to gather so that every person can contribute, so that there's a sense of usness, togetherness. We need to meet in homes because that's the place where we can care for one another. I'll tell you, even in a church our size, if you're not in a small group gathering in house church in this season, it really is a challenge to care for one another. And I know for some of you, you say, well, I'm just comfortable at a distance. I'm comfortable at a distance. I want you to know you will never experience the life of Jesus just in public. You'll never experience the life of Jesus apart from the intimacy with Jesus. And Jesus is calling us in. Some of us have never been comfortable alone with God. And because of that, we've become dependent on the public gatherings. And I love the public gatherings. I love it more than anybody. Right now, we are looking for a building church. We're looking for a building because we want to gather. We want to open the doors. We have a vision for a building. In my heart, I call it the open house. And it's a building that's not just a Sunday church building, although there would be gatherings, but it's a building where we can let the light of God shine into the community, a place where families can gather, a place where Alpha can happen, a place where uh, even these four spaces are built out visually in the architecture to facilitate the framework for following Jesus, a place where there would be the needs of the community met, perhaps a feeding ministry, perhaps the foster care ministry would be strengthened through what happens in that place, that we would let our light shine into the world. But I want you to hear this, it happens from the intimate place. Jesus is calling us in so that he can lead us out. The way we change the world, the way we let our light shine is through private intimacy producing public impact. And so as we prepare to close today, I know this is informational. I know it may feel a little bit like, okay, what do I do with this tomorrow? I just wanted to lay the framework of where we're going in the weeks ahead. We're going to be talking about how do we reform and how do we revive in those four places, in those four spaces that Jesus is calling us into. Not to hide, not to just stay in the bedroom, not to hunker down, us for no more, but to be sent out into the world. But at the same time, not to live just in the public space, not to live on the porch. If you're a part of God's family, you shouldn't live on the porch. You need to come in. Practically speaking, you need to be drawn into community, drawn into relationships so that you can experience the life that Jesus has for you. And we're going to be talking about what does that look like. But here's what I want to ask you today. What of those spaces are you most comfortable in? What of those four spaces are you most comfortable in? Some of us may feel, well, I'm an extrovert. I'm most comfortable in the public space. Maybe God wants to draw you into a greater place of intimacy. Maybe God wants to draw you into a greater place of relationships where you can take the mask off. Part of the danger in our world today through social media and online communication, as great as it is, Part of the problem is it has created this reality where every private, intimate moment now becomes public. So we no longer have intimacy. We have intimacy for the gram. And I believe God, if you don't know what the gram is, Instagram, okay? I believe God's calling us in to be vulnerable in his presence so that we can have an impact in the world.
people who have been with Jesus in private are the people that change the world. God's calling us in so that he can lead us out. Or I'll pray for you today, wherever you're at. Maybe you've lived your whole spiritual life on the porch, in the public place. Perhaps you've always, even in church life, sat at a distance. You've never entered into relationship. You've never been vulnerable. You've never gathered into a setting where you can say, pray for me. My marriage is struggling. Pray for me. I feel like a failure as a mom or a dad. Pray for me. I'm, I, I'm on the verge of falling into sin. Maybe you've never allowed yourself into that space. God is calling you into that space. Or maybe you've gotten so comfortable in the intimate place that you've lost your impact in the public space. God is calling us in to lead us out. Father, I pray for every person. God, that is hearing this message today. And Lord, we thank you that you are drawing us in, drawing us into your house, as it were, drawing us into that place of intimacy. And God, I pray for those of us that have never been comfortable, perhaps even because of our own family background, we've never wanted to be open in church because we felt like I've already got a family and that is dysfunctional. I don't need another family. God, I pray that we would reveal our generous Father in heaven, our gracious, loving Father. Draw us in to a place of vulnerability. Draw us into a place of intimacy. Tear down the walls between us, I pray. Tear down the walls of self-protection. Tear down the walls of pride and arrogance. God, tear down the walls that have been built up, Lord, that ultimately keep us from experiencing the life that you are calling us to. Father, I pray that you would reveal your glory in the private place, the intimate place, Father, so we could change the world in the public place. God, we wanna let our light shine in this dark world so that we could transform it with your love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I wanna encourage you to take some time today just to perhaps discuss this, meditate on this. If you're in a house church or with your family, Maybe you just need to talk about, hey, where am I most comfortable? Have I got caught on the porch? Have I become dependent on that rather than dependent on that place of intimacy? Just have a conversation around that today. Or if you're by yourself, take some time to meditate on it. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. You can always fill out the connection card on our website. If there's anything we can do to serve you, we'd love to invite you in. Don't stay on the porch, come in, join the community so that you can experience the Jesus life together. Join us this Saturday uh, in, in Blue Jacket Park for Coffee in the Park. Also join us for the marriage course. Join us for family camping coming up on the 19th. It's gonna be awesome. God bless you, church. I love you. Can't wait to see you soon.